Uh, if you would take your Bibles and turn to 1 Timothy chapter 6. There's a lot of subjects. I told you we're in a series. This is our second week called Generous. And um, I want to talk today about upwards for down times. There's subjects, as you know, that I will hit on probably every year and a half to two years. And uh, this is one of them, finances, resources, stewardship, money, all of those things. Uh, very seldom do I ever just talk about giving. Uh, I talk about resources and how we don't want to make things our God, but we want God to be our God and be first in everything that we do. Um, obviously, finances are such an important part of our lives. I mean, you can't really open the paper today, especially in our part of the country where you don't see something about finances, housing or whatever, and it's just an important season. So I want to I talk today just about dealing with, how do you deal with the downturn? How do you deal with those times um, that are, that, where people are struggling and they have to deal with their finances in a different way? We've all heard stories of those who are rich, but they aren't happy. They know deep down, we all understand, we would probably say, you know, we know that money isn't everything. Uh, one guy was asked, would you rather be poor and happy or rich and miserable? He thought for a second, and his response was, well, how about semi-rich and moderately depressed? <laughs> I love that. Isn't that great? Well, the pursuit of things can oftentimes, and resources and money can oftentimes cloud our judgment. The primary question is not what makes us happy. Here's the question that we want to ask, friends, is simply this, is that what pleases God? Not what makes us happy, but ultimately what pleases God, because our first pursuit in life should simply be this. That's if you're, uh, some of you might be here today and you, you've not made a decision to follow Christ and you're just kind of kicking the tires of your faith and we're glad we welcome that. But if you have made a decision to follow Jesus Christ, then here's the question that we want to ask. What's going to please God? What am I going to do with my goods and my resources to be able to bring him glory? Let's look at 1 Timothy chapter 6, starting at verse 6. See what Paul says to the young man that he's mentoring. He says this, but godliness with contentment is actually great gain. Contentment is simply an inner satisfaction. And it oftentimes comes kind of serendipitously uh, as we are pursuing the higher goal of pursuing God and his godliness, becoming godlike in our lives. And he says when you do that, you're ultimately going to experience great gain. Why? Well, because you didn't bring anything into the world and we can take nothing out. But if we have food and clothing... We're going to be content with these. And never forget, loved ones, that we are rich. He says you can be content just because you got food and you got, a, and you got clothing. And then most of us have a place to live, obviously. And so we can really be content. And ultimately, we're pretty rich. But those who want to be rich fall into temptation, a trap, and many foolish and harmful desires which plunge people into ruin and destruction. For the love of money is the root of all kinds of evil, and by craving it some have wandered away from the faith and pierced themselves with many pains. And here's the point there, very simple. Sometimes we say, oh, the, the money is the root of all evil. No, it's the love of money. 
Money's a good thing. It's a wonderful thing to have. Wouldn't you say amen? You know, I, how many of us would like to have a little more? See, there's nothing wrong with that as long as we're not loving it and that becomes the focal pursuit of who we are and what we do. Now, if you skip down to verse 17, as Paul continues to speak to his son in the faith, Timothy, he says, instruct those who are rich in the present age not to be conceited or arrogant or to set their hope on the uncertainty of wealth, but that they would set their hope on God who richly provides us all things to enjoy. Did you catch the phrase, the uncertainty of wealth? There's nothing certain about it. So he says, instruct them, those who are rich, those who have means, to do good and to be rich in good works and underscore this, to be generous, willing to share, storing up for themselves a good foundation for the age to come so that they may take hold of what is real in life. See, there's a reality to what, who we are and where we are that we don't even see yet, but it's eternity. And he says, this is what I want you to do. I want you to be rich. I want you to be rich in goods, uh, in good things and in good deeds. And then I want you to share with the people around you. So today, I just want to look at some lessons, how to stay up in down times. If you paid any attention to the economy, you know that we had kind of a, a pretty good speed bump recently. Remember reading the paper of February 6th, East Bay Times? It says, Dow's brutal afternoon adds to woes. Index, day two, index follows Friday's cliff jump with 1,175-point loss. Pretty amazing. Biggest drop in, in years. It says Apple and Alphabet also sink. I'm thinking, man, if Apple's having trouble, what's happening with my stuff? You know, that's pretty significant. But that's the times that we're in. Uh, our finances, everything that we face is really uncertain. And you go, well, you know, you're usually pretty positive, and I want to be positive today because I want to help you through this process because here's the bottom line. Riches, money, resources, everything is uncertain. It's got a shelf life. And we're going to talk about some of those cycles in just a moment. Uh, but there's a story of one of my favorite college basketball coaches who passed away uh, a few years ago now. His name was Rick Majaris. And I loved him because of his intensity uh, as a coach, but he was intensely funny. So it was back during, I think it was 2008, when we had this big downturn. They asked him how he was doing going through this economic downturn. And this is what he said. Everyone's worried about the economy. Hey, my hairline is in recession, my waistline is in inflation, and altogether, I'm in depression. <laughs> and I go, and I go well, that's how a lot of people live, and that's kind of what happens when you begin to look at the economy and wonder what in the world is going to take place. There's financial uncertainty, but what does God want you to learn? What does he want us to know about this whole process? I was reading uh, this last couple of weeks and preparing for this that uh, some things from Bill Hybels and uh, some of his financial, he's an incredible pastor and uh, has talked on finances and great stuff. And I've also been uh, reading some of Dave Ramsey. So some of what I'm sharing today comes from them. But I want you to know the first thing is, is that down times are going to come. And we've seen that if you've been around for 20, 30, 40 years, you know there, there's an economic cycle that's always taking place. There's boom, then there's bust. There's fullness, and then there's, there's a bull, and then there's the bear season. There's the up, and then there's the down. There's the fat, and there's the lean. The economy 
is not and will not ever stay static. And, and that's the reality that we face. We can see where uh, the trends have been up and to the right for so long. And what did we see in two days? We saw this 1,700-point drop in the Dow. And I don't know about you, but probably a lot of people, you know, that quickens your pulse pretty quickly. And you're checking out your stats on your stocks and everything else. Paul says this, instruct those who were rich in the present age not to be conceited or to put their hope in the uncertainty of riches. But put your hope in God who richly supplies us with all things to enjoy. I love that. Because see, a lot of people make God out to be this stingy guy that always wants our goods when the truth is, he says, listen, I've given you everything you need. I'm going to give you what you need. And I want you to ultimately enjoy it. But don't put your wealth, or excuse me, don't put your hope in wealth that is uncertain. And here's the deal. The only thing that's certain about the economy is that it's going to be uncertain. The only consistent change is this cycle is going to come. It's going to be good. It's going to be bad. If you look at the story of Joseph in, in Genesis chapter 41, remember the story uh, in, the book, in that book of Genesis. He oversaw the Egyptian economy during one of these cycles. Pharaoh has this dream, and they said, who's a really wise man in, 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 in Egypt? And they call on Joseph. So Joseph comes, and he meets with Pharaoh. And he meets with them. Pharaoh says, you know, I got this dream about these cows, and they're different colors and spots and all this. And, and he says, can you interpret what the dream means? And Joseph says, well, here's what it means. You're going to have seven years of, it's going to be great, man. It's going to be fat and full, and everything's great. And then you're going to have seven years of lean, bad times. And so the Pharaoh goes, well, man, we, we need somebody who can help us through this. Who's the most wise and discerning person? All the input that he gets, it was Joseph. So he takes this Hebrew and he puts him in charge of overseeing the season in Egypt. So they have seven years of Great times, they feast and there's fullness, but then they have the seven years of famine. I mean, we've seen those kinds of cycles in the United States. I won't go through all of them, but we understand the Great Depression was the worst economic downturn in our modern history. But what preceded the Great Depression? What was the Roaring Twenties, man? Everybody had everything. Then you had the Great Depression. But what followed up with the Great Depression? Well, we had the 40s and 50s and into the 60s where there was incredible economic growth. Why is this important? Because oftentimes when the economy is moving forward, we begin to believe that the boom will last forever, that the feast time will last forever. And again, I'm not negative, but there's a reality that I want to challenge us with today as we go through this series that we're always preparing and thinking about the future. It is not unspiritual. It is not unbiblical to be able to think about the years and the future ahead. Sometimes people and a lot of Christ followers get into trouble because they spend too much. Oh, you know, God, I'm just going to take care of everything, you know, and we just kind of, well, you know, here's my money, Lord, just, he'll take care of it, and he will, but, but we still have to be engaged in the process. Go back to the story of Joseph. During those seven years of great abundance, he literally had 28 quarters of economic expansion that were taking place, and he could have been lulled into thinking, you know what? It's going to be great, man. It's going to be good for who knows how long. But instead, because he had a sense that he knew that the, the economic cycles changed and he knew what God had spoke to the Pharaoh, what did he do? 
for those 28 quarters, for those seven years during economic expansion, he, he made everybody and he set up the government to be able to save 20% of everything that come in. Can you imagine that? I bet he wasn't very popular. But he said, no, we're going to do it. And he made it, he made it happen. It was an edict that he had set up. He was prepared, and he was preparing for the future of Egypt so that when the, when the famine came, guess what? They still experienced a feast, and then they were able to help the neighboring countries around them. Scripture says that no one was as discerning and wise as Joseph. Here's what's wonderful about Joseph. There's all this pressure. You know what someone who's discerning and wise is? The idea behind him being discerning is it's a person, a man or a woman, that's able to make uh, decisions under great pressure. Think about Joseph. He was under pressure by Potiphar's wife to have sexual relations with him. What does he do? He says, no, thank you, and he runs. He, was, he grew up in kind of an abusive relationship with his family. And then he's abandoned by his brothers who, who leave him in a hole to die. And what does he do later? He forgives them under the pressure of family relationship. He still forgives them. And then he comes to this time where there's this great time of feast and fullness and everything is booming. And he stands up and says, listen, we're going we're gonna to save 20%. He makes great decisions under pressure. And I want to challenge you, friends, that we need to remember to plan accordingly during the boom times so that we're ready for any of the down times. And I think that this last couple of weeks, uh, February 3rd and 6th, is a great reminder for us not to forget what can happen, that there is an uncertainty to riches and that we need to be preparing accordingly. Because down times are always going to reveal our poor planning. If you remember a couple of years back, the earthquake in Napa, in the Napa area, there were many buildings that hadn't been uh, earthquake retrofitted or prepared for any seismic fallout or earthquakes that would take place. Well, when that earthquake happened, all of these unfortified or retrofitting, uh, retrofitted buildings they experienced extensive damage. Some of them were destroyed. Here's what happens whenever there's a seismic shift in our life. Whenever there's pressure in our life, it will always reveal the weaknesses. I mean, when does your air conditioner go out? Not in the winter, does it? It's when you need it. It's when you're baking. It's 102 here. And man, it's just hot, 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 hot. And it goes out. Why? Well, because of all of the pressure that's taking place on it. If you want to test something, put it under a little bit of pressure because it will always expose our weaknesses. And isn't that true in our life? Isn't that true in everything that we're involved in? Isn't that true with our finances? Isn't that true to our job? I mean, if you want to find out where you are, put a little pressure, put a little heat on it. When the economy is good, profits are climbing, lines are moving up and to the right, and everything is good, that's a wonderful time. What do we do? Well, we forget that there could be a downturn, so that's when we buy the bigger house. That's when we buy the new car. That's when we buy the new goods or we do things instead of preparing for the future. Hear me, there's nothing wrong with doing those things as long as you're preparing for the future as well. Economic downturns are inevitable. And I think that that's what I want you to get today out of this, that that's what we need to be reminded of from this last couple of weeks. And anytime there's a downturn, it's going to it's going gonna, it's gonna to be seismic and shake you up financially. So I want to kind of be Joseph today for a few minutes and give you a few biblical ways to, to prepare for any downturns. First of all, number one, God's wisdom and ways prepares us for downturns. 
I mean, God's word is so practical and it's very simple and sensible and gives strategies for managing our resources and our monies. God's financial works work well in any economy. Feast or famine, up or down. So what are some of these strategies? Well, I'm going to talk about them in just a minute. But I want to recommend something that uh, if you're struggling financially, first of all, um, we're going to be doing financial peace again in the fall. And I know that's like seven, six months away. But I want you, if you've got struggles financially, um, or if, if, you, if you just want to kind of regird your, your foundation, I want you to sign up for that because we're going to go through that 14-week class. It's by Dave Ramsey. And you say, well, I, I'm, you know, I'm kind of sinking now and I need some help now. Go to DaveRamsey.com. He has incredible resources there that will help you for just about anything, whether it's from getting out of debt to um, establishing a budget, uh, just a plethora, an incredible amount of information that I would encourage you and recommend that you go see it and check it out. But let me walk you through some, some biblical strategies for just making sure you're staying up during a downtime. First of all is earn a living. God expects us to work and to earn a living and to work hard. Proverbs 14, 23 says this, that all hard work brings a profit. Have you ever seen that? I mean, I'd much rather be around somebody that works hard than has a lot of talent, because I'll tell you what, ultimately, they're going to be the one that's going to get ahead, and God honors hard work. Paul says in 1 Timothy chapter 5, verse 18, that the worker deserves his wages. We're supposed to acquire money the old-fashioned way. You know what it is? Earn it. Earn it. Second Thessalonians, or Second, Second Thessalonians chapter 3 says it kind of pretty straightforward. It says this. If you don't work, you don't eat. So God's really, it's a big deal to him. And he says, I want, I want everyone to work. Sometimes we think that the work is simply a curse. You know, after the fall, the big issue is the reason, you know, we have to work is because of the curse. What a lot of people don't understand is before the curse, God said, I want you to take care of the land in Genesis 1. He talked about our responsibility to work, to have assignments and to take care of things well before the fall. Do you understand, based on Matthew 25 and Luke 19, that when we get to heaven, we're going to have assignments. We're going to have work to do. Now, thankfully, it's probably not going to be like some of the jobs that maybe some of us have here where we can't stand it. You know, we've got to drag ourselves to work every day. But heaven is not going to be about sitting on a, on a cloud or playing a harp or whatever, unless you're like on the worship team or something and you have some kind of skill set. But it's going to be about assignments that we're involved in, engaged in there as well. So work is a good thing. The Bible doesn't put any limit on the amount that one can, could or should earn. God is not against rich people. He's against people who love riches and replace him as the priority of their life. There's a lot of verses, though, in the Bible that talk about how we're supposed to use our money. John Wesley said well. He says, get all you can. He was a preacher in England, he'd ride on a horse and he'd preach six, seven times a day, going all around just preaching Jesus. And he used to work with these young preachers. And one of the things that he would tell them, he'd say this, get all you can without hurting your soul, your body, or your neighbor. Get all you can, what? get all the money you can. Save all that you can, cutting off every needless expense. 
And then he says, give all you can. Be glad to give, ready to distribute, laying up, uh, laying up in store for yourselves a good foundation against the time to come. What time to come? The bad times to come. Against the end times to come. Get all you can without hurting your soul, your body, or your neighbor. That's pretty good advice. You know what he's saying? Earn honestly. And secondly, give, save as much as you can. Save as much as you can. Proverbs 13, 11 says this, he who gathers money little by little makes it grow. Proverbs also warns against looking for quick get-rich schemes. I've told you the story of my dad. That's kind of how he lived when I was growing up. He was always looking for the quick buck. He tried this, he tried that, he did this, he did that. You know what? He never got anything. The Bible is really clear. Just do it a little bit at a time. That's what's going to make it grow. The Bible doesn't encourage saving in a sense of selfishly or fearfully hoarding, but it does encourage wise forethought, forethought where we're planning for the future. We're setting something aside for the years ahead. Proverbs 21.20 says this, that in the house of the wise are stores of choice food and oil, but a foolish man devours all he has. What's he saying? Well, Basically this, the wise person stays, saves, and stores up. You go into his house, you see that he's prepared, not only for that day, but for the days ahead, for the years ahead, for his future. What's the foolish do? Comes in, and it goes out. They bring it in, and they spend it right away. That's why Dave Ramsey, he, he, he gives such great practical information that I would encourage you to look at. Save as much as you can. Did you know that the average retirement savings of a family between the ages of 56 and 61 in 2017 was $164,000? That's the average retirement savings. The median retirement savings of families between 56 and 61 is $17,000. The median is the middle, so if you have 100 people, that would be what the point is at 50, and then you'd have 49 on the right side going up and 49 on the left side going up. If you understand that that is the, the, the median, 17,000, that is not very much money when you're staring retirement right in the eyes. That's why God says, I want you to save. I want you a little bit by little bit to prepare for your future. Proverbs 6, 6, and 7, it talks about the ants. We noted that last week. He says, watch the ants. Learn from the ants because they're getting stuff ready in the summer so that they can take care of it during harvest. They don't have a commander. They don't have somebody telling them what to do. They just have this personal initiative to whatever degree an ant can have it, but they do it. And I suppose we see that totally in the, in, the, in, the, in the whole animal kingdom. What do squirrels do? They put away nuts. Black bears, did you know that they eat between 15 and 20,000 calories a day before hibernation? Wouldn't you love to be a black bear? I mean, no, think, I mean, you know, yeah, I mean, just, just throw down the calories for however long, and then you get to take this big nap and burn it off. Boy, if it only worked that way for this animal kingdom, right? But Joseph saved during every year of plenty. We see the importance of looking ahead for the future. Look what Wesley said again, John Wesley. He said, save all you can. Cut off every needless expense. Here's the deal. You don't have to spend all that you have. Save as much as you can. How do you do that? Well, the first thing is you live on less. 
Remember this, if your outgo exceeds your income, your upkeep will be your downfall. And that's how a lot of people live. The problem for many is not just spending all we make, but spending more than we make, and then we begin to accumulate debt. What's a good first step? It's simply this, live within your means. Whatever you make, live within that. But then after you get used to that, go a step further and begin to live below your means. What do most people do? When they get a raise, their standard of living just goes up to that next step and they live on what they're getting now instead of saying, okay, maybe I could bank that. Maybe I could use that for debt reduction. Maybe I could use that for retirement. But to be able to do this, you know what has to happen? We have to do that D word. You know what the D word is, don't you? And it amazes me how many Christians really don't like this word. But it's discipline. You know, again, we kind of expect God, well, here, God, here's the you know, just take it. There it is. You do it. And God says, no, no, put that back in your pocket, and I want you to show some discipline. I want you to show the ability, gain, gain the ability to say no. Just because I can afford something doesn't mean I should buy it. Have you ever noticed that? That's an important concept. Just because you can get it doesn't mean you need to. Some of us need to develop our spiritual muscle that says no. We need to flex it once in a while. Flex the no muscle. What's your call to the mall? What do you want there? You know, for me, what, you know, if I go into a golf shop, man, I want something. I want this, I want that. Here's what's funny. I've, I've got a pretty good no muscle. It kind of drives Trina crazy. Because I'll go in and I say, okay, I'm going to get this today. And then I'll go in and I go, so I go, well, get it, get it. You deserve it. And I'll go in and I go, oh, man, that's a lot of money. And I say, I'm going to walk out and then I'm going to make my decision. And you know what I do? I always walk out and go to the car. My no muscle's good. There's a lot of things I want, but man, it's not because I'm so good. It's just over the years, you know, we haven't always had a good amount of money. So, man, we all had to say no to a lot of things. It's good to develop that discipline, friends, to just say no. Now, here's the deal. Some of you are going, oh, man, I couldn't live like that, always saying no. Well, here's the, 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 the other side of that. I've got a financial counselor and helper in this church that has worked with me since probably, I don't know, about 1995. And I owe an incredible debt of gratitude to him for the way he's helped me financially and kind of coached me in some things. And it was after, when I first got here, he started working with me on some things and, and we had incurred some financial struggles and difficulties. I won't enumerate on how they happened, um, but in our first few years here. And so I said, hey, could you help me with this? So he sat me down and he said, I want you to do this. I want you to do this. I'm going to help you this way. And I want you to do this. And so I, I, I'm a fairly disciplined person. And I, and man, I bit that thing and I went after it. And I did everything that he said and a little bit more. Well, I sat down with him a few, two or three months later. And I said, okay, friend, here I am. I've been doing this. And, and he looks at it. He goes, wow, great job. You're really staying on top of it. And, and I said, here's what I'm going to do next. I'm going to do this. I'm going to do this. I'm going to do this. And he kind of looks up and he looks at me and he goes, whoa, 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 slow down, slow down. He says, now what I want you to do is I want you to, instead of adding more and doing more, I want you just to take and do something and reward yourself. And I go, what? what? I thought I was trying to get out of debt and do all No, 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 no. 
See, if, if, if you don't reward yourself along the way, pretty soon you'll become a miser, you'll become a hoarder, you'll become greedy and always want more, and more will never be enough. So you've got to take a time to be able to reward yourself. Or another thing that can happen, it's, if, if it's almost like an alcoholic, if you take one drink, you can fall off the wagon, you go spend a little bit of money if you become so consumed with hoarding and saving and everything or debt reduction and you don't take care and reward yourself, that'll cause you problems too. And I thought that's a great concept. Reward yourself when you're saying no as well. Just know what to reward and when to reward. Also, avoid debt at all costs. Avoid debt at all costs. Do you realize that the average credit card debt in 2017 for somebody in California was $9,000? Now, some of you might be sitting here and going, I'll take that, <laughs> you know, because it's not unusual for people in the United States to be ten, fifteen, twenty, thirty thousand dollars $30,000 in credit debt. Here's what Romans 13.8 says. It says, oh, no one anything except to love one another. Now, that's not in the context of finances, loved ones. But it is a principle that can be applied unilaterally, and I think one of those things is debt. Now, obviously, there's good debt. I mean, you know, you really can't, most of us in here probably can't buy a home without debt. So that becomes an investment. Some of us, you know, we need a new car, um, and you've got to buy one. I get that. But generally, we should do everything we can to work to stay out of debt. You know what Dave Ramsey says, don't you? He says, get a credit card, can't handle it, cut it up. Cut it up. In, in, in financial peace, they actually have a time where they have kind of a, you bring scissors and you have a cut up the credit card ceremony and celebration. I want to be honest with you, I've never done that. I use them. And so, you know, I, I totally agree with Dave Ramsey. Man, if you can't handle them, get rid of them. But if you can master them, they're all right. But if they master you, you, you're in big trouble. While I was doing some of this research and some of the statistics I've shared, and I, was, uh, I ended up on, you know, like the Yahoo news page. And um, while I was looking at a couple of things, I, I saw this picture of Lisa Presley. Now, you know that Lisa Presley is uh, Elvis's only child. Well, it talked about how much debt she was in. The headline was, is note, uh, see how much debt that Lisa Presley is in. She's going through a divorce, and uh, she says, just, she says, I can't pay for my ex's legal fees. And then it goes on to say, according to the court documents, she owes six, she has $16 million in debt. And I go, how is that even possible? Well, I read, I keep reading, and it says in the paperwork she claims she owes more than $10 million in unpaid taxes from 2012 to 2015. Well, then I go thinking, well, how in the world can anybody make that much money to owe that many taxes and not have money to pay it? You know what I'm saying? I mean, these are numbers that just aren't, you know, I don't get them. Well, then it says, in addition, she says that she has defaulted on her mortgage uh, of her home that's in the United Kingdom, and she's trying to sell it, but she owes $6 million on that home. And she also says that she has a pretty large amount of credit card debt. Now, now get this. The Elvis estate brings in about $20 million a year. And she's the overseer of it with her mother. 
So now Lisa, Elvis's only daughter, sold 85% of Elvis Enterprises in 2004 for $100 million. So let's just say she split that with her mama and she gets $50 million. Where in the world does that money go? She's in debt. Now, I know these are numbers. You look at me, you go, ah, we'll never deal with that. Well, okay, let's just, you know, let's drop it down to you make 50000 a year and you're $25,000. See, the same, it's, the, the only thing different is the numbers, is the zeros. See, we have a tendency, don't we, to buy things we don't need with money we don't have to accumulate the debt that we can't pay to impress people that we don't really care about. Stay away from debt, loved ones. Millions of Americans can barely survive in this boom time. Imagine what would happen to some if we went into a famine or a downtime. People get laid off work during those times. People get cutbacks at work. Stay away from debt. Uh, next thing is honor God with your money. Honor God with your money and your giving, with your tithe and your offering. I'm going to talk about this a little bit more next week when I talk about giving and how Creekside has been so generous because of you. In both the Old and the New Testaments, Christ followers honored God by giving him the first tenth of their income. That's what tithe means. And then they gave offerings above that. That's what we do with our harvest offering. And again, I want to commend you for your faithfulness in both of those. But it's possible that there's some here that have never engaged in this process. And listen, I'll kind of hit this next week because I know there's always going to be people who go, well, you know, Old Testament, New Testament, blah, 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 blah. You know what? I really believe that giving a tenth of our income is really the baseline of where it starts. Some people go, well, you know, that's Old Testament. Okay, whatever. We'll talk about it. But here's what the promise is. Here's the blessing that God says I want to bring. Malachi 3, 10 and 12, he says, bring the whole tithe into the storehouse, the place where you're fed, that there may be food in my house. And God says this is the only place in the Bible where he says this. Test me in this. Give it a shot. Roll the dice on it, says the Lord Almighty, and see if I will not throw open the floodgates of heaven and pour out so much blessing that you will not have enough room for it. I will prevent pests from devouring your crops and the vines in your fields will not cast their fruit, says the Lord Almighty. Then all the nations will call you blessed for yours will be a delightful land, says the Lord Almighty. Now, a lot of preachers use this. I don't want to say that sometimes in a negative way. Have you ever heard guys say, well, listen, you just give, you just give God a hundred bucks and you'll get back a thousand. You ever heard that? Um, I, I want to be really honest with you here. That I have, I, I've told you the story about my first tithing check that bounced <laughs> when I was 17. And, um, and the past, it actually went through twice. And, um, but I, I just, you know, I didn't have any money, but I'm going to try tithing. <laughs> so, but you know why? Because I was, a, I, I was just a new Christian and they said, do this. And so I started doing it. Now, I've been doing it since then. And here's the deal. I do that, and can I tell you something? I'm not rich, but I'm rich. If you know what I mean? I'm rich like you. God has met every one of my needs in my life when I've done it his way. And it's been wonderful. 
But I was sitting there watching one of these preachers on TV one day, and he says, listen, you, we're, we're desperate. We need more money. We got to, you know, God's got to do his work here, and we need your money to do it. And he goes, if you give us $100 right now before the end of this TV show, you're going to be blessed, and God will give you 1000 back. And I go, wow, that's a great deal. And then I started thinking, I go, okay, if that's true, how about you send me $100 so you can get the $1,000 because you're desperate. <laughs> so I'm not here to tell you that because can I tell you something? It happens time over time when you honor God and you put him first because it's a statement of our faith that says, God, you're my provider. Everything I have is yours. And I'm not going to tell you you know, start throwing $100 in the basket and all of a sudden, man, you're going to be rolling in the dough. Now, can I tell you something? There's people in this church, all three of our services that come up here and give testimony how that's happened. And I'm not kidding. It didn't happen with me. I mean, I know God loves me, but he didn't do that for me. And it may not happen to you, but I guarantee you, he'll take care of your needs as you say, Lord, I'm going to trust you with all every area of my life. And that's the next point. Trust God with your life. Love God and people more than money and things. Because this deals ultimately with our heart attitudes and values. Jesus clearly said that the most important thing in life is to love God and to love people. Matthew 6.24 says this, no one can serve two masters. Either he will hate the one and love the other, or he will be devoted to the one and despise the other. You cannot. It's not like an option. It says you cannot serve God and money. So we're to love God and people and use money, never the other way around. Second, also, trust God to provide for everything you need. Jesus talked about this in Matthew 6, 25 through 33. And it's in the context not only of finances and resources, but it's in the context of seeking first the kingdom of God. That's what he says in there. He goes through and he goes, listen, have you ever seen the, the sparrows and the birds in the air? They're not worried about what they're going to eat or how they're going to be clothed. He says, have you ever seen the lilies in the field? They're not worried about it. Why is that? You know, have you ever seen a bird perched on the side of a windowsill? You know, it's got its little claws in its beak chewing them, you know? You, you don't see that. Because they just know intrinsically that God, that something's going to be taken care of them. And Jesus uses that as an example to say, I want you to have that same kind of trust. And then he goes, how many of you, through anxious worrying, can ever add a foot to your height? Think about that. See, Jesus uses, he's got a pretty good sense of humor, and he uses this hyperbole. Or how many of you, by worrying and being anxious, can add any time to your life? Oh, man, I just wish I was taller. Oh, man, I'm not tall enough. Boy, if I would have been taller, I probably could have made it to the NBA. You know, I'm just, oh, boy. It's, 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 it's ridiculous. You can't add any stature to yourself by worrying. And guess what? You can't add another day to your life by worrying. As a matter of fact, you might lose a day or two by worrying. And that's what Jesus says. Why don't you have to worry? This is what I want you to do. Because you can trust the Father. Trust God to provide. My financial planner, who has been with me now, a great friend of mine for probably 
23, 24 of my 26 years here. <clears throat> when he said that he was going to oversee my, my investments and my finances, you know what he said to me? And I know you're going to think this is stupid. But he said to me, I don't want you looking at your statements for a while. And don't ever call me and ask me questions about the ebb and flow of the stock market or the Dow or anything like that. Don't bug me because if you do, then I'm done. I said, okay, okay. So I didn't. For probably two or three years, I don't think I probably ever really looked at my portfolio. And you go, well, that's stupid. I, you know, uh, here's the deal. Money's not a big deal. I mean, it is now that I'm moving up in years, but back then it wasn't a big deal. And it's never motivated me. So I didn't really check. I just said, okay, stuck them away. And then one year I looked at it and I go, wow, that's pretty good. Well, then did, did anybody check your portfolio in 2008? <laughs> so that was probably about the third or fourth time that I looked at my portfolio and I was shocked. I mean, it had dropped, as many of you know. I mean, it, just, it, it was like, I had nothing. I folded it up, I stuck it away, and I didn't look at it for a number of years. And I never called my advisor. I just let it go. Well, now I look at it and I go, okay, thank you, Lord. Thank you that you have overseen this. Because you know what I did? The faithful thing. I saved and I put in it. I gave it to a person who I could trust. I'm not going to let anxiety rule my finances. I never have. I never will. I hope. You know why, we, you know why Jesus says don't let anxiety rule you? Because he says you've got a father that cares. And I want to say that to every one of you in here. God loves you, and he cares about your future more than you do. And he wants you to be engaged in it and to work through it. But ultimately, your worry is not going to change anything. He wants you to trust him and be content. Did you know there's manufacturers and advertisers out there that are bright, brilliant people, and billions are spent to make you discontent? I get all of these golf magazines. I see all of these commercials. You know what they tell me? I'd be so much of a better golfer if I got the newest driver. And I go, yes, I want that. And then I go, and then I realize, oh, yeah. It's not the driver. It's the guy that hits it. And then I realize, yeah, amen, yeah. So I'm not, I don't need to spend that. I just need to work with what I got. And for some of us, that's what we need to make sure that we're simply content. It's an inward satisfaction with what we already have. First Timothy 6.6 6 says that with godliness, that contentment is great gain. That when you're content, you just go, you know what? What's really important is that I'm growing in God. Uh, Hebrews 13.5 and 6 says this, keep your life, lives free from the love of money and be content with what you have. Why? Why? Because God said, never will I leave you or forsake you. So we can say with confidence, the Lord is my helper. When everything is going south around you, here's what you can say. God is with me. Paul said it this way in Philippians 4. He said, I am not saying this because I am in need, for I have learned to be content whatever the circumstances. I know, that it is, I know what it is to be in need, and I know what it is to have plenty. I have learned the secret of being content in every situation, whether well-fed or I'm starving 
whether living in plenty or I need a whole bunch. And then he makes this great statement, I can do all things through Christ who gives me strength. Some of you love that verse. Some of you, it's your life verse. Some of it, it's your favorite verse. Some of you have it on your coffee cups. Some of you have it in your walls, in your homes. Some of you quote it, I can do all things through Christ. I can get this job. I can do all things through Christ. Can I tell you something? You can probably apply it that way, but you know what it's talking about? It's talking about being content with where you are. I can do all things. I can be content right here with this or without that. So maybe the next time you quote this, the best context when you're tempted to buy something you don't need and you go, I can do all things through Christ that strengthens me. Because that's really what it's about. And be prepared to help others. I gotta finish quickly here. People during a downtime are affected differently. We want to be prepared to help them. And I, again, I want to commend Creekside because you do such a great job of this. Our harvest offering every year that we receive, the only special offering that we receive makes room for us to be able to give benevolence to help people in this church that have need and to help people in our community. That's why Paul said to Timothy, be generous. If you're rich, be generous and willing to share. And let me remind you again, everybody in this room is basically rich. And the last thing is be prepared to assist spiritually. Have you ever noticed that when people go through really difficult times, it has a tendency to give them a God focus? They lose their family, they lose their spouse, they lose a home, they lose a job, something tragic happens to their life. Have you ever noticed how that has a tendency to bring somebody to at least consider who God is? That's why we want to be ready, loved ones, to be able to let them know that someone died for you, that someone loves you, someone cares for you. And it's not only going to be me and you, but we want to let them know that Jesus Christ cares. Here's the deal. Jesus paid the greatest debt for every one of us in the room where he removed the debt of our sin that we could never, ever pay it back. Think of the biggest debt. We, you couldn't do it. I don't care if you're Bill Gates, Rockefeller, whoever, that debt could never be paid by anyone but God. That's why the old chorus goes, he paid a debt he did not owe. I owed a debt I could not pay. I needed someone to take my sin away. And hear me, loved ones, when we begin to understand what Jesus Christ did for us to pay our debt, it will be nothing to begin to help other people and to serve them and to help them. Did you know that the Bible is very clear throughout Old Testament, New Testament, Jesus spoke on it, that we are to help and be aware of the poor. And when, you, when we do that, when you do that, there is a blessing that comes. But we have a tendency, and I'm not talking about enabling, and I'm not talking that we have to help everybody, but we've got to be able to hear the Lord and say, because we've been blessed, because we've had a debt that's been taken care of, we've got to be willing to help people and the poor. And I'm thankful that we're a church that has been able to do that because of your generosity. But we want to continue to enlarge what God does. Amen? Got to get you out of here. Let's stand.
Here's your next step. Some of you need to take a next step from today. I told first service, I said, you know something, don't, I'm talking about this in this series. I've never talked about money in this church in 26 years when we needed money. Because I believe God will always provide, and he always has. So don't think that this is some kind of campaign to get people to give. This is really a campaign to allow you to grow and experience the blessings that God talks about. But some of, a, some of you, your next step is to really double down on getting out of debt. For some of you, the next step is learning to give and trust God with your finances. For some of you, the next step is to enlarge your heart to be able to help other people. For some of you, your next step is simply to say, God, I want to grow in trusting you. I want to believe that you really are the Lord of my life and I need to include finances in that as well. So I want you, just as I pray, to say, Lord, what's my next step? And begin to say, Lord, I'm going to make a move. I'm going to move toward that. Father, we thank you, Lord, for your word that's incredibly practical, yet very spiritual. It has spiritual dynamics to it that we don't understand, but we understand, God, that you're at work in our hearts and our lives. That's why we're here today. So I thank you for a congregation, a group of people, individuals that are committed, Lord, to trusting you and to following you. Even when we don't always understand what that means or how it looks, Lord, we want to take our steps of faith. So I pray, Lord, for each person, whatever that next step is, that as you begin to speak to them and to show them that, Lord, they'll have the faith and they'll have the strength to be able to move forward in what you have for them. I pray, Lord, for financial blessing upon every person in this church so that not only can we make a difference in our personal lives into the next generation, but, Lord, in our community so that we can reach those who are far from you. For that, I give you thanks, Lord. Bless these people as they go. In Jesus' name, amen. 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 Lord bless you. You're loved. Have a great day.